Welcome to Upon Reflection, a podcast about reasoning, well-being, and technology. I'm Nick Bird. I study the philosophy of cognitive science and the cognitive science of philosophy. In this podcast episode, I'll read my 2021 paper in Philosophy Compass titled Reflective Reasoning and Philosophy. Both philosophers and cognitive scientists seem to think that philosophical thinking could depend on whether we reason intuitively or reflectively. In this paper, I review those claims, the scientific methods involved, some of the evidence, and what we may need to do to improve our understanding of reflection's role in philosophical thinking. As always, free preprints of my papers are available on my CV at birdnick.com forward slash CV under publications. This episode is sponsored by Scali. Scali helps students and graduates find life-changing scholarships and loan payoffs. Find out how to access Scali's funding at scaliinc.sjv.io forward slash bird. That's B-Y-R-D. That link will also be in the description of the podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe wherever you find podcasts. You can follow on Twitter at bird underscore Nick or on Facebook at birdnick, or find me on the other platforms. Comments or questions can be submitted at birdnick.com forward slash contact. And of course, if you end up enjoying this podcast, then feel free to tell people about it, you know, online, in person, or in your review. Thanks. Reflective Reasoning and Philosophy Abstract Philosophy is a reflective activity, so perhaps it's unsurprising that many philosophers have claimed that reflection plays an important role in shaping and even improving our philosophical thinking. This hypothesis seems plausible, given that training in philosophy has correlated with better performance on tests of reflection, and reflection test performance has correlated with demonstrably better judgments in a variety of domains. This article reviews the hypothesized roles of reflection in philosophical thinking, as well as the empirical evidence for these roles. This reveals that, although there are reliable links between reflection and philosophical judgment among both laypeople and philosophers, the role of reflection in philosophical thinking may nonetheless depend in part on other factors, some of which have yet to be determined. So, Progress in research on reflection in philosophy may require further innovation in experimental methods and psychometric validation of philosophical measures. Quote, A preoccupation with reflection is arguably the Western philosophical tradition's most distinctive feature in both historical and contemporary contexts. End quote. John Doris, 2015. Introduction. Some questions prompt an intuitive response when we ask, how much should I donate? Our first response might be to opt for the first amount that feels right. Of course, we could step back and reflect on this feeling. Is that enough? Can I afford to give that much? This reflection may either reinforce our initial impulse, that much is fine, or revise it. Upon reflection, I could afford to give much more. Many philosophers accept that such intuition and reflection are standard fare in philosophical thinking. Philosophers appeal to intuition and arguments for or against certain claims or views. As Hilary Kornbluth puts it, quote, George Beeler does it, Roderick Chisholm does it a lot. Most philosophers do it openly and unapologetically, and the rest arguably do it too, although some of them would deny it, end quote. 
philosophers also consider reflection essential for double-checking our philosophical intuitions. For example, quote, rendering coherent and justifying our convictions of social justice, end quote. Intuition and reflection are also hot topics in cognitive science. Daniel Kahneman's popular book, Thinking Fast and Slow, may be the most well-known compendium of this literature. Of course, some of the findings in that book have been disputed. Indeed, research on intuitive impulses and more deliberative responses is an ongoing topic of investigation in cognitive science with unresolved and still unfolding discoveries. At some point, the philosophy and cognitive science of intuition and reflection collided. Scholars started running studies and experiments to test claims about how intuition and reflection actually impact philosophical thinking. They found some evidence that moral, political, and other philosophical beliefs seemed to vary depending on the degree to which people employed intuitive or reflective reasoning. However, not all of these results have been replicated, and some methods produce different results than others. So many questions about how intuition and reflection feature in philosophical thinking remain unanswered. In what follows, I'll review some of this literature. First, I'll elaborate on reflection's theoretical role in philosophy. Then I'll explicate the notion of reflection that we'll focus on in this article. And that'll pave the way to consider how reflection is measured, as well as how its psychological construct features in empirical investigations of philosophical reasoning. I also consider whether the philosophical judgments that correlate with or result from reflection are normatively superior to their alternatives. This leads me to the conclusion that progress in research about reflection and philosophy may require advancements in both experimental manipulations of reflection and measurement of philosophical tendencies. Section 2. Reflection in Philosophy Recent philosophy is rife with concepts that involve reflection. Consider some examples. Quote, reflective knowledge, unquote, unlike animal knowledge, was said to involve understanding of not just a perceived, remembered, or inferred fact, but its relationship to the broader network of beliefs and knowledge in our mind. Quote, reflective equilibrium, end quote, has been invoked explicitly in discussions of how to determine what is just, and invoked implicitly in discussions of how to justify the rules of logic. Quote, reflective agency, end quote, was considered important to understanding human action. Quote, reflective scrutiny, end quote, has been said to allow us to evaluate our ethical view from within the confines of that view. Quote, reflective persons, end quote, have been described as unlikely to accept certain claims by Henry Sidgwick. Quote, reflective self-knowledge, end quote, has referred to the unique awareness we enjoy over our own, as opposed to others' beliefs, desires, and intentions. There are no doubt more examples of how the concept of reflection appears in English-speaking philosophy. Analyzing all of them is a valuable project that goes beyond the limits of this article. The point is just that reflection often appears in some of philosophy's most influential concepts, arguments, and views. Of course, not all philosophers mean the same thing when they use the word reflect and its cognates, so it's worth explaining the notion of reflection on which I focus in this article. Section 3. Explicating Reflection If you spend enough time reading English philosophy, you may find that reflection is used as a term of art that means something specific and technical. Consider a classic description of reflection. Quote, I find myself with a powerful impulse to believe, but I back up and bring that impulse into view. Now the impulse doesn't dominate me, and now I have a problem. Shall I believe? 
end quote. Those who are familiar with the rest of that text will know that Christine Korsgaard is explaining how the human mind, quote, cannot settle for mere perception and desire, end quote, because, quote, it needs a reason, end quote. The idea is that reflection is supposed to help us find a reason to accept or modify our initial perceptions, desires, impulses, intuitions, etc. Quote, the role of reflection is to step back from the immediate situation, to calculate consequences, to compensate for the immediate force of one desire which might not be the most advantageous to follow, end quote. Thus, the notion of reflection that these philosophers are interested in has a purpose, double-checking our initial responses. Further, this notion of reflection involves at least two components, stepping back and consciously reconsidering. So, roughly, reflective equilibrium involves pausing to reconsider whether our first response coheres with the rest of our considered beliefs. Likewise, reflective endorsement would involve some sort of assent after deliberating, inhibiting, and evaluating our initial response. This two-factor account of reflection is not isolated to philosophy. It's also found in cognitive science. Section 4. Reflection in Cognitive Science Dual process theories in cognitive science distinguish between at least two reasoning types or processes. For example, dual process theories might distinguish between fast and slow, associative and non-associative, or reflective and unreflective reasoning. Importantly, some of these distinctions are orthogonal to one another, preventing us from, say, inferring that reasoning is reflective just because it is slow or non-associative. Nonetheless, experimental psychologists, behavioral economists, and other social scientists have been developing tests of people's disposition to reason reflectively for decades. Consider one of the most famous reflection test questions. Quote, a bat and a ball cost $1.10 in total. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? End quote. Cognitive scientists have found that the first answer that jumps to many people's minds is 10 cents. Of course, a moment's reflection can reveal that the correct answer would actually be five cents. Because reflection tests are designed to lure us toward a particular response that, upon reflection, can be determined to be incorrect, they seem to track the two behavioral components of reflection, stepping back and reconsidering an initial impulse. Moreover, some evidence suggests that cognitive reflection tests like the bat and ball problem measure a domain general disposition. For instance, people who performed better on reflection tests have also reasoned more reflectively about probability, logic, and even Newtonian physics. It's worth noting that the authors of some reflection tests realize that these tests track not only the disposition to reflect, but related phenomena such as reading comprehension, and for mathematical reflection tests like the bat and ball problem, mathematical ability. Indeed, some have found that mathematical reflection test performance can be indistinguishable from general math test performance. So, non-mathematical reflection tests have been developed in order to overcome these limitations. Of course, with the advent of web-based research, many reflection tests are completed online, limiting researchers' ability to understand what people are actually thinking when they complete reflection tests. So cognitive scientists may wonder whether two common assumptions about the test are valid, that lured responses indicate a lack of reflection and correct responses indicate that reflection occurred. To test these assumptions, scientists have started recording people thinking aloud as they solve reflection tests. Importantly, thinking aloud did not seem to impact performance on non-mathematical reflection tests, and even more importantly, the best predictor of performance on such reflection tests was the probability that participants stopped to reconsider their initial response. 
only a minority of responses violated these assumptions of reflection tests. This suggests that reflection test performance is usually a good measure of philosophers and cognitive scientists' two-factor notion of reflection. Even so, cognitive scientists may discover more and better ways to measure reflection in the future. Section 5. Reflection in Cognitive Science of Philosophy At this point, one may wonder if cognitive scientists have collaborated with philosophers to study philosophical thinking. After all, cognitive scientists may be able to help philosophers test their claims about how reflection features in philosophical reasoning. For instance, what patterns would we find if cognitive scientists measured and manipulated reflection and then tracked corresponding changes in philosophical thinking? Cognitive scientists of philosophy have been doing this kind of research for over a decade. This section will review some of their prominent findings, as well as some unanswered questions. 5.1. Reflection and Philosophy Among Laypeople Some of the most well-known investigations of how reflection features in philosophical reasoning are in the domain of moral psychology. After neuroscientific research revealed that brain activity in areas associated with reflective reasoning predicted more consequentialist responses to moral dilemmas that propose mitigating a great harm by causing a smaller harm, psychological research found some evidence that reflection caused and correlated with more consequentialist judgments about moral thought experiments. Since this time, better reflection test performance has predicted moral judgments about unintended side effects, a tendency toward atheism or agnosticism, liberal political preferences, and the orthodox Gettier intuition about knowledge. However, not all of these links between reflection and philosophical preferences are well understood. For example, the links between reflection and consequentialist moral judgments have also been found between reflection and deontological moral judgments. Also, some links between reflection and political preferences have been even stronger in Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic, aka weird, countries. Further, some research has not replicated links between reflection and moral judgments, politically liberal preferences, and belief in God. More research has found that links between reflection and religiosity replicate in only some countries and religions. These results suggest that some reported reflection-philosophy relationships either depend on other factors, such as how one measures philosophical beliefs, or are false positives. Finally, some have found that attempting to increase reflection experimentally has had underwhelming effects on philosophical judgments. To boot, sometimes reflection's effect is the opposite of what we would expect based on the prior correlational findings. Some philosophers and cognitive scientists are responding to those mixed results by conducting massive replication projects, developing better methods, and considering new interpretations of prior results. Some scholars are also pushing to include more underrepresented participants in research on philosophical thinking. 5.2. Reflection and Philosophy Among Philosophers Around the time that some cognitive scientists were finding that philosophical judgments often correlated with reflection test performance, other cognitive scientists were finding that philosophical education also correlated with reflection test performance. Those with more training in philosophy tended to be more reflective. This has recently been confirmed in larger cross-cultural datasets. This led some researchers to look for links between reflection and philosophical judgments among those with advanced training in philosophy. Findings from smaller samples were unable to detect small correlations between philosophers' beliefs and reflection test performance. However, multiple studies of larger samples that included people with a PhD in philosophy found that reflection test performance correlated with philosophical beliefs, such as theism, even when controlling for education, gender, personality, and other reasoning tests. 
This provides preliminary evidence that links between reflection and philosophy that have been detected among lay people may also be detectable among philosophers. Section 6. Reflection and Normativity Some cognitive scientists have argued for the normative superiority of certain philosophical beliefs by appeal to their correlations with reflective reasoning. The idea is that reflection leads to better judgments. For instance, reflection test performance has been linked to correctly identifying fake news, recognizing pseudo-profound bullshit, rejecting conspiracy theories, overcoming the sunk cost fallacy, and less susceptibility to misinformation about their own eyewitness memory. So, if more reflective people tend towards certain philosophical beliefs over others, then, according to the appeal to reflection, those philosophical beliefs would be superior. While recent evidence undermines some appeals to reflection, one might wonder if the appeal to reflection could be marshaled for or against other philosophical beliefs. 6.1. Empirical Problems with Normative Appeals There is at least one empirical obstacle for such a broad normative appeal to reflection. It is not obvious how dispositions to overcome faulty impulses about basic mathematical and logical questions entail or even imply normatively superior reasoning in higher-order domains such as academic philosophy. This challenge to appeal to reflection resembles a challenge to the appeal to expert intuition. Specifically, appeals to reflection tests still lack an empirically adequate account of how someone's reflection about contrived questions about bats and balls, for example, shows that their philosophical beliefs have also benefited from reflection. This has motivated some researchers to develop tools for stimulating reflection during the philosophical thinking and discourse that they're trying to observe. 6.2. Philosophical Problems with Normative Appeals There are also philosophical obstacles to the appeal to reflection. For instance, some philosophers consider certain philosophical beliefs justified independently of reflective reasoning. Indeed, some of the beliefs that anti-correlate with reflection test performance are precisely the beliefs that some philosophers take to be justified independently of reflection. These philosophers are not alone in treating certain beliefs as less subject to certain epistemic norms than other beliefs. Both children and adults in the U.S. seem to employ different epistemic criteria for scientific explanations or facts than they do for religious, ideological, or ethical beliefs. Thus, some people may find epistemically normative appeals to reflection more compelling for some domains than others. 6.3. Overcoming Obstacles to Normative Appeals One way to surmount the obstacles to normative appeals to reflection is further experimentation. After all, we already established that, in principle, one could randomly assign participants to reflection-inducing, reflection-inhibiting, as well as control conditions, and then test whether and how much philosophical tendencies vary between those conditions. Alas, there are a variety of reasons to think that momentary manipulations of individuals' reflection may not reliably advance our understanding of the causal role of reflection in philosophical thinking. 1. As previously mentioned, researchers frequently find that inducing reflective and unreflective reasoning is more difficult than early work has suggested. 2. Even if we learn how to successfully and reliably produce immediate changes in reflection during experiments, these changes may only impact novel and therefore unfamiliar philosophical questions. Such momentary changes in an individual's reflection may not, however, produce changes in their more considered, trained, and even identity-based philosophical beliefs, such as the beliefs that some people, including philosophers, spend their lives publicly defending. So how can we overcome these two methodological challenges to experimentally testing the effect of reflection on certain philosophical beliefs and judgments? Perhaps we cannot. 
However, those who wish to appeal to reflection may want a more thorough test of reflection's impact on philosophical thinking. To do this, we may have to develop more potent interventions on reflection. Rather than a momentary tasks that individuals complete during a short survey, we may need either weeks-long interventions that teach people how to reason more reflectively, or consultations with peers that have experiences, values, and beliefs that are difficult for us to conceive on our own. In other words, manipulating reflection may require more than what most cognitive interventions require. It may require the kind of interventions that students of philosophy tend to experience, some training in how to use reflection, sustained periods of reflection, and discussion amongst peers. That way, when people are encouraged to step back and reconsider reasons for their initial philosophical judgment, they can be competent in doing so. Such longitudinal and social interventions are difficult, requiring more time, more funding, and more additional analytic techniques. So philosophers and cognitive scientists may need to develop new tools that eliminate some of these impediments to more severe tests of reflection's causal and normative roles in philosophical thinking. 7. Conclusion Reflective reasoning is central to both philosophy and the cognitive science thereof. The theoretical and empirical research about reflection and its relation to philosophical thinking is voluminous. The existing findings provide a preliminary evidence that reflective reasoning may be related to tendencies for certain philosophical judgments and beliefs over others. However, there are some signs that there's more to the story about reflection's role in philosophical thinking than our current evidence can reveal. Scholars will need to continue developing new hypotheses, methods, and interpretations to reveal these hitherto latent details. The recommendations in this article are by no means exhaustive. For instance, in addition to better experimental manipulations and measures of reflection, philosophers and cognitive scientists will also need to validate their measures of philosophical thinking to ensure that subtle differences in wording of thought experiments do not influence people's judgments in unexpected ways. After all, philosophical judgments can vary significantly depending on slight differences in wording, even when reflection is not manipulated. Scholars may also need to develop ways to empirically dissociate previously conflated philosophical judgments in order to prevent and clarify misleading results. All of this is to say that philosophers and cognitive scientists' preoccupation with reflection is here to stay. A few decades of investigation about reflection in philosophy has established not only a promising research program, but a growing list of remaining questions that will require at least a few more decades to consider. I look forward to revisiting this article in a few years to see how far we've come. This podcast was sponsored by Scholly. Scholly helps students and graduates find life-changing scholarships and loan payoffs. You can find out how to access Scholly's funding at scollyinc.sjv.io forward slash B-Y-R-D or BIRD. That link is also in the podcast description. If you want to hear more, you can subscribe wherever you find podcasts. You can also find out more about me and my research at my website, birdnick.com, on Twitter at bird underscore nick, or on Facebook at birdnick, one word. If you have suggestions or questions for the podcast, you can submit them at birdnick.com forward slash contact. And of course, if you end up enjoying the Upon Reflection podcast, then feel free to tell people about it online, in person, or in your review. Thanks. Music for the Upon Reflection podcast is produced by me on GarageBand. All of my music is shareable under a Creative Commons license. You can find more of my music on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash birdnick.